as a um, just as a sort of a recap of what we did last week. Uh, we looked at a quick introduction to the book of Amos. Uh, Amos was a shepherd, and as we find out in chapter 7, he also uh, uh, tended to sycamore figs uh, and was uh, not a, uh, a son of a prophet. He was uh, no one, not just an ordinary person that God called. And he has an extraordinary message. And we we looked at the the timing or the dates for this. Uh, there's all sorts of things. Well, he we have a, a broad overlapping of two kings, Isaiah and Judah, and Jeroboam the second in uh, in Israel. But date. But he also has a, a date where. Uh, it was two years before the earthquake. Now there's a question of when the earthquake, uh, what the earthquake was. When, he's, when it's a statement like that before the earthquake, it's uh, sort of two years before the big one. Uh, it would be, we might uh, put it. And it's a way that they can date it actually, uh, at least from archaeology, they're, they're, they sort of are homing in on about seven 60 BC. Richard. Uh, just a throw in something related to his sheep herder. Yeah. Well, it, um, there was a special type of sheep. It was, uh, it was a dwarf sheep that was well known for its quality of wool that he okay. dealt with. And to this day, that sheep is called the Nakata. Oh, okay. And also the earthquake. Probably is mentioned in Zechariah 14:5. Yes, it was, and uh, and there's a question of of whether uh, the uh, Josephus and and I think the Talmud also uh, putting that time as when Isaiah went into the temple and uh, burned incense. Mm -hmm. uh, if that's the case, then it's probably a different date from 760, but the archaeology seems to point more to 760. If you remember, uh, Isaiah went in and he burned incense in the, at the altar, something that was not allowed for anyone but a priest. Basically, he took the high priest's job. Yeah, and he was struck down with leprosy, and he and uh, so at any rate, because the law says you can't be king and high priest. Yes, and. The, the final part of this, though, is an overall prophecy that we need to concentrate on just for a minute or two. The Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds dry up and the top of, Mount, of Carmel withers. Among other things, it says that everything you're going to see here is the Lord's work. Uh, Joel also has, an, uh, has a similar statement in it, in it, but it's the Lord's work. This isn't just happenstance. It didn't just so happen that history aligned itself this way, but it was the Lord's work. The other thing we need to note is that even though uh, Amos uh, was from uh, Judah, the, area, the kingdom of Judah. He prophesied to uh, the kingdom of Israel uh, at, the, uh, at their worship site of Bethel. Uh, also of importance on this is uh, to remember that this is the very final 50 years, 40 years of Israel. Soon the Assyrians are going to knock on their door. But in the meantime, some disruption in, the, uh, in Assyria, in the, in the rulers of Assyria and civil unrest there, and, and the same in Damascus, 
Those were the two primary uh, enemies at that time of Israel. Uh, we know that, as, uh, for instance, Assyria is, a ri is the rising power, but it has a minor decline about the same time that Amos is prophesying. And Syria, uh, who had taken a lot of Israel's land, especially on the west bank, east bank of the uh, Jordan, in the Gilead area, uh, is, in is, in, um, is in decline and in some turmoil. And this allowed Israel to gather wealth and to strengthen itself and become more of a commercial power. And that's going to be the downfall of Israel, according to Amos. We know that they were, they were idolatrous from the beginning. A couple hundred years of idolatry. But at this time, during this little window of maybe 30 years, 20 years, Israel became fairly wealthy and a trading power, right along with, with, uh, with Tyre. And they were hand in hand, which is going to be one of the prophecies we see uh, as we look into it today. So Israel is a very prominent, powerful, wealthy nation. And along with that, it seems that there is a great disparity between the haves and the have-nots. And that's what Amos is primarily writing about. So with that, we will jump into uh, first chapter, uh, starting in the third verse. And we're going to run through the second chapter, and I'm going to run through the whole second chapter. Uh, each of, there are uh, a list of, of countries, <clears throat> prophecies made against kingdoms, if you like. Uh, Damascus, which is Syria. Philistia uh, in Gaza. Phoenicia, which is Tyre. Edom, Ammon, and Moab, those six that surround Israel and Judah. And if I, if, if I were there and we were just we were cheering, yes, go get them, God. These are our enemies. And then Amos goes on with Judah and then his real target, Israel. So it, he was not popular in Israel with the uh, rulers because of this. Prophets never are popular in the country they're prophesying against. Uh, we saw that definitely in Jeremiah. We see that uh, in with all the prophets. We see that in the New Testament when what did Jesus say when he gets comes up comes into Jerusalem? He said that, uh, and that was up in the Nazareth area, or in the uh, but in the Galilee. But when he comes down to to uh, to Jerusalem, it's you who have killed the prophets, and that was uh, prophets were not appreciated in the country where they prophesied. Look at Jeremiah, excellent example. So. We have all these six countries surrounding uh, Judah, the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. And then he makes his final two uh, prophecies of this group to Judah and to Israel. It must have come across pretty harshly to the, uh, to the people that were hearing it, in particular the priests and the kings of uh, Israel and Judah. So these were traditional enemies ex until he gets to the end. Uh, Tyre is a, is a leading uh, trader in, in the Mediterranean. He is the, the, the uh, 
Phoenicians uh, had outposts throughout the Mediterranean, and they were they would trade in anything. If there was money to be made in it, they were going to trade in it. And you'll that's when when he prophesies with them, it's they're going to be uh, that's going to be brought up. The section that I have here that we're going to look at today all begins with a cert, with a phrase for the on the judgment for the three sins of fill in the blank even for four i will not turn my back my wrath or i will not relent uh, after that the judgment is made and this this phrase followed by a short uh Tell statement of what they're going to be punished for and the punishment, and they re and he repeats it eight times. That three and four is is a Hebrew idiom to uh, produce a cumulative effect. Yeah, uh, basically what he's saying is you've sinned a whole lot, <laughs> and you wa aren't giving it up. This has become habitual. Ain't done a good job. Yeah, and and this is it, it's an expression, uh, and there's a lot of different ways to interpret this ex expression. Some of them look for a list of the three sins and then the fourth one, but that's other than Judah and and Israel, uh, you're not going to find that many. He's usually just focused on one issue with each of these countries. What we got is with three plus four, we get seven, which is a complete number. Mm -hmm. Three times four, which is 12, another complete number or perfection. So they're completely in their sin or yeah. completely overcome <clears throat> by their sin. Yeah, and that's, that's, uh, that's one of the uh, basic thoughts behind what, what this means. Bottom line is, you're habitual. This is not, oh, I made a mistake. This is, you do this every day. This is one of, I put up with it as long as I can. Now, that said, uh, God has a long, long memory, and he sometimes waits a long, long time for punishments. Uh, an example of it uh, that I think we, we need to recognize back in uh, Genesis 15. And I'm going to just turn over there real quickly. And we'll look at Genesis 15 from the stand, same standpoint of these prophecies. And uh, how if we go looking for the exact uh, events that that these prophecies fulfill, it's going to be very difficult. So chapter 15 of Genesis uh, is the covenant that uh, God made with Abram. And he uh, cuts, the, the, you have a, a line, a trench with sacrificed animals on the side and the Lord walks through it. But starting in Verse 13, we see, we see, Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that, I, that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to, the, uh, to your ancestors in peace and be buried in a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back, uh, come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full. So God has a good memory, and but he tends to work on, in general, on a slower time frame than we might think. 
Human time and his time are not. Not the same. When you think of it, uh, a human lifespan, uh, 70 years, three score and 10, anything after that is your borrowed time, like I'm on borrowed time. Uh, and But for God, who one, time is meaningless to, and two, he's, when you look at it from the standpoint of eternity, what's 70 years? What's 400 years? It's like a thousand years to God is like you know, a year to man. It's a year to man. So it's got to remember that these prophecies in general will be will be fulfilled, but not necessarily in the time frame that we would like it to be. So, um, well, we have to remember to show take his time from our perspective, so that none shall be lost. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with the Amorites, of course, it was over four hundred years before God had the Israelites wipe him out. Uh, and even then, I, I'm not sure that that it was total. Uh, and if you look at the the kingdoms he's going to prophesy against, these are old enemies. The kingdom of Edom. That goes back to Edom, or the descendants of Esau. That goes all the way back to uh, to a stolen uh, birthright and a stolen blessing. And Esau threatening to murder or kill uh, um, Jacob for that. And Jacob, of course, being Jacob, he, he found that it was safer just to run. So he went up and uh, up to uh, visit his uh, uncle, uh, Laban, and there stayed for 14 years or thereabouts before he came back. By the time he came back, Edom was doing real well. And uh, Esau said, ah, oh, uh, that's all in the past. And he went back to Mount Seir, where's, where the kingdom was centered, uh, and there wasn't any any bloodshed. But, yes? If you recall, too, uh, the Edomites gained notoriety from Israel when the, they, they attempted to go through yeah. Edom, and the Edomites were not allowed to do that. Yeah, I think, and then that's 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 the next point. Thank you. Was that? And if we, I think that's what in the book of Obadiah. <clears throat> yeah. If you look at the the Exodus, when they were finally Moses was finally leading them into mm -hmm. uh, up to be able to cross the Jordan. They asked permission from their brother Edom uh, to let them pass, freely pass through their land. And the king of Edom flatly said no. And Moses tried to negotiate with them and said, well, we'll stay right on the road. That must have been quite a long march, considering it. But we'll stay right on the road, and any damage we cause, we'll take care of that. Don't worry about it. No. The enmity between Edom and Israel, Judah, goes back thousands of years. And they're not about to forget about it. And as we... we uh, covered in, in Lamentations after the fall of Jerusalem, one of the early cries from Judah was don't forget Edom. They were a part and parcel to this destruction of Jerusalem that you brought on us. Don't forget them. So Edom is definitely a, an enemy of, of theirs. So um, those are special um, the Philistines, of course, were a thorn in their side from 
for uh, quite a while. Uh, Moab and Ammon, uh, Damascus, uh, they waged war against Israel. Israel's territory, which had stretched all the way over into Gilead and the, uh, and the eastern bank of the Jordan, is slowly being taken over by uh, Damascus, Moab, and Ammon on the same side of the river. The Philistines are constantly raiding and uh, causing trouble. Uh, and so these prophecies go out. So we'll just look at, at Damascus and we'll quickly go over the other. This is what the Lord says. Each one of these begins this way. This is what the Lord says. Says the Lord to bookend, for the bookends. For three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not relent. I will not relent. I'm not, this is not subject to negotiation. I'm not going to change my mind. It will happen. And it's a, a warning to be heeded. Because she threshed Gilead with sledges having iron teeth, I will send fire on the house of Hazael and will consume the fortress of Ben-Hadid. I will break down the gates of Damascus. I will destroy the king who was in it, the valley of Avon, uh, and the one who holds the scepter in Beth Eden. The people of Aram will go into exile to Kerr. This is, uh, first of all, uh, threshing with uh, sledges with iron teeth. Uh, that was, they, it was a mechanism that they used in the farming, and they'd take it across, and it would just literally, with sort of toothed uh, um, rollers, separate the, the grain. Then, uh, and so it's an allusion to the uh, attack that Syria is going to have on the people of Gilead, and and what and the type of people that they were uh, in Second Kings eight twelve, uh, Elisha is uh, telling Hazael, uh, among other things, he was, uh, Hazael has been sent by Ben Hadad to uh, uh, to find out uh, or whether he's going to recover from an illness, and uh, Elisha's Elijah. Elisha tells him that, uh, tell him yes. And then he says, but that's not really what's going to happen. He's going to die. Uh, and Hazel was going to be the, was going to assassinate him. And then Hazel sees that he's crying. Why is my Lord weeping? asks Hazel. Because I know the harm you will do to the Israelites, he answered. You will set fire to their fortified places, kill their young men with the sword, dash their children to the ground, and rip open preg their pregnant women. And for this brutality, God is going to be judging Syria. And we find some fulfillment of this in 2 Kings 16.9, where it reads that the king of Assyria uh, complied, uh, and that was complied at, of Assyria, complied uh, by attacking Damascus and capturing it. At that time, uh, I think it was Joash and uh, the king of Assyria were, uh, were uh, well, Joash was a, uh, uh, had given tribute to, uh, to Assyria, and they, he convinced them that the, to attack Syria. For, so the Assyrians uh, attacked Syria, uh, Damascus, captured it, and deported its inhabitants to Kerr, and put Rezin, their king, to death. Uh, the next judgment is against Gaza. Uh, that's the cities of the Philistines. Uh, there were five cities there. Uh, 
And their, it, their problem was because she took captive whole communities and sold them to Edom. And God is going to destroy the Philistines. Uh, the next one, uh, and the next one is to Tyre, because she sold whole communities of captives to Edom, disregarding a treaty of brotherhood. The treaty of brotherhood was probably stretched all the way back to David and Solomon, and the building of the temple. Tyre and and uh, Judah and and the United Kingdom at that point, uh, had a, a, a sort of uh, bond of brotherhood. But first we see that uh, Gaza took captive whole communities and sold them to Edom. Tyre just sold whole communities of captives to Edom. And they're going to destroy Tyre for that. Tyre, by the way, was finally destroyed com in com completely uh, by, uh, by the Greeks when uh, Alexander uh, came down and he built a causeway all the way out to the island. And then it was easy pickings from there. But Tyre finally was destroyed. Uh, then another one, the Lord says, for three sins of Edom, and even for four, I won't relent, because he pursued his brother with a sword and slaughtered the women of the land because his anger raged continually and his fury flamed unchecked. I will send fire on Temin and will consume the fortress of Bozrah. So for Edom... Even though they're, they're the brother of, of uh, Jacob, the brother of Israel, uh, there is such hatred and enmities uh, between those two tribes of people that it's lasted for thousands of years. And they, as we saw in the other two, they were more than happy to take slaves from to buy slaves from the Philistines uh, and Tyre, whole Israelite communities, take them, sell them off as slaves. And for that, they're going to be destroyed. Uh, then we find then we see uh, for Ammon, uh, be, uh, I will not relent because they ripped open, the pregnant women of Gilead in order to extend its borders. We talked a little bit about that from the standpoint of, of uh, Damascus, which is the next kingdom to the north of Ammon. But Ammon and Damascus many times worked together as allies against Israel in pushing back the, the, uh, the territory of Israel uh, over the uh, over taking the east bank the Gilead area, and uh, were that wasn't taken back, by the way, until this brief period of wealth in Israel, this golden age in Israel, where of Jeroboam II, and he actually came and recaptured that as the as Syria and Ammon failed. Um, so what is it? They're going to set fire to uh, the walls of Rabba. They're going to uh, consume her fortress amid war cries on the day of battle amid violent winds on the stormy day and her king will go into exile. And he and his officials together, says the Lord. Then we go to Moab. Not in Utah. Uh, but uh, for three sins of Moab, I will not relent because she burned the ashes of Edom's king. Now, this is an interesting one. It's a, a, a final desecration. And this one wasn't actually directed directly to uh, Israel or Judah. 
uh, more indirect because at the time that they're probably talking about here, uh, the Edom was paying tribute and under the protection of Judah. And so indirectly, the uh, uh, Moabites had uh, sinned against Judah by, by desecrating the Edomite king uh, remains. Uh, and that, uh, for that, Moab will go down in great tumult, war cries and blasts of the trumpet. I will destroy a ruler and kill all our officials with him. When this was fulfilled, I'm not sure. It probably was fulfilled uh, earlier, probably in the seventh or to the eighth, seventh and eighth century. Uh, not complete destruction, uh, but it, but we also know that Nebuchadnezzar uh, came through that area, and eventually all of these kingdoms would be uh, would be taken over by by the Babylonians. There's also a, uh, a reference in Second Kings three twenty seven relating to the uh, offering of the king of his firstborn son. Which king was that? Um, oh, I'm not sure. I think that was a, a Judah, a king of yeah, it was, uh, Judah. It, it was a Moab, a Moab. Oh, it was a Moab king. Okay. Yeah, and he took his firstborn son and offered him up on the wall as a burnt offering. Yeah, and and this was common in, in that area. And Hmm? Outside of Israel. Outside of Israel, uh, and actually Israel was pretty was was very. They, they may have had their uh, their idols set up, but at least they didn't go to this extent. However, uh, it, we do know that Judah fell into this. So, but Israel didn't. Uh, then uh, that completes the. Uh, completes the, the condemnation of the countries around uh, Israel and Judah. And I'm sure that they're saying, yes, God, do your job. Finally, you're going to save us. And then God goes on, or through Amos goes on. And he says in the second chapter, starting in the in the fourth verse, this is what the Lord says, for three sins of Judah, even for four, I will not relent. Well, if I'm up in Gilead, or not Gilead, but up in, in Bethel, we deal with them, they're our brothers, and, uh, and, and, and that hurts a little bit. But not, not but okay, the because they've rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his decrees. If you remember, uh, for hundreds of years, they didn't even know where the book of the law was. It was accidentally found in the temple. And, uh, and you had a, a revival. So for years, the, they hadn't been doing this. And one of the problems to have with this is that, uh, as we found with when they with this revival, uh, is that the people are the hard ones to to get. They get used to something, worshiping a certain way, and doing things a certain way, setting up the high places and altars for sacrifices to the various local gods, and that's can't be rubbed out in 10, 20, 30, 40 years. They tried, but they failed miserably at it. And Josiah, he, he had the, he was the one who heard the word of the right. Torah after, after it had been lost for so many years and wept and we're going to stop all this stuff, but it never really did. No, never stopped. Uh, it's hard at the peasant level, you might say, at the at the lowest levels of society, 
the, the common person, it's hard to change it. And it's going to take two, three, four generations. And they never had kings that, that worked on it hard enough for that amount of time to wipe it out. They didn't have that many kings in the world that were good. Yeah, they, they just one would would, and Josiah did an amazing job, of of uh, not just there, but if I'm not mistaken, he was the one that that took out Bethel, mm -hmm. and uh, and destroyed it. They have not kept his decrees because they have been led astray by false gods, the gods of their ancestor their ancestor followed. False gods, uh, I think the word in there might be lies. But the but you've been uh, led astray by uh, by lies, uh, and the lies that their ancestors followed. Yeah, that that is translated in my in this book as their lies. Yeah, uh, and and but the the lies that they were talking about were false gods. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so they were being they were being led astray by that, and for that I will consume the fortress fortresses of Jerusalem. Um, fortresses, plural. Remember that uh, it, that the battle came down. I think the Assyrians uh, got all the way to the walls of Jerusalem, but they had taken a lot of the fortresses, uh, fortified cities around it. And the Babylonians, of course, finally finished that off. This is then the final one. Remember, he's up at Bethel, probably. And he's finally, his final one in this section. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even four, I will not relent. So now he's stepping on toes. He's going right after what God had sent him for to prophesy against Israel. Let them know that judgment is on the way and that they will be dealt with. They trample, oh, they sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. I'm assuming this when they say uh, innocent, that they're talking the courts of law. That bribery was the common way of the the common uh, way that the court of law in Israel operated. You wanted a judgment, you paid the judge. You wanted you wanted uh, people to to uh, witness against someone, you paid them. The poor, of course, can't do that. So he's really talking not about everybody in Israel. He's talking about that wealthy top layer of the society. They get whatever they want in court because they can pay for it. So you sell the innocent for silver and the needy for just a pair of sandals. They're next to nothing. It doesn't, and you then you trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. These, the lowest end of society or the, the lower ends of society are being treated so poorly, it's just as though you're walking over the dirt not much different. You have as much regard for them as you do the dirt on the path. And they're oppressed because of this. What's the problem here? We alluded to it last week. Social injustice. Injustice. Social injustice. God, a recurring theme throughout the Torah is I am the king I am the God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt take care of the poor take care of the aliens take care of the widows take care of the orphans 
Don't be tight-fisted when someone needs your help. Don't withhold your, your wealth from people who need it. Well, the law was set up so that there, there would be poor, but that the poor could think for themselves. They weren't supposed to reap the corners of their field. Right. You had the gleamers come in. And this whole thing, this treatment of the poor is a way of profaning the name of Hashem. It does. And it, 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 is, it profanes the name of the Lord. It's not just, oh, this isn't nice to your fellow man. It's, it's really, you're almost doing it, you're almost oppressing them in the name of God. And that's, uh, that's obscene. You can't do that. So here they are oppressing them. This is what's going on in Israel. Father and son used the same girl and so profane my holy name. Uh, it, it's hard to say whether they're talking about prostitution or are they talking about incest. Well, mine says they use the same maid. Yeah. But if you think about it, go back to David and Absalom. Mm. What did Absalom do when he got David out of the capital? He went in and slept with David's concubines. To show, he degraded his dad and showed to the people, I am now under control. Yeah, I, these are mine now. They're treating the women like, like property, but in particular, in this case, they're telling, they're, they're, the law has very, very strong provisions about incest and about, uh, how sexual relations are to be properly uh, handled and with whom you can have sexual relations. And the punishment for violating them was death. You were stoned for violating this. And here they are, father and son. Okay. Violating the law. Profaning his holy name. Then they lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. The law is also very specific about that. If a person needs money and you take his cloak as pledge for the debt, you have to return that by nightfall. Because otherwise, he's going to be cold. That's what he needs to stay warm. That's what he needs to stay alive. Again, how do you treat people? Well, they're, taking, they, they're, they're looking at it this way. Oh, I'm going to lie down on this, this, nice, uh, this nice cloak that I got as a pledge for a debt. Um, and it, of all places, in the house of in the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. I'm not sure where uh, what that is, but I I'm assuming that this was wine that was uh, offered as a sacrifice to God. Uh, there's some perspective that it may be fines that were exacted on the poor. They would take that money and buy their wine. Okay, that's that would that would that makes a lot of sense. But nonetheless, violating the law, profaning God, and all this going on at the altars that they have for their God. Now, they are supposedly worshiping the Lord. We know that that wasn't the case because it was idolatry. But nonetheless, they are supposedly, this is their God. And they're violating all his laws. They still had some of the practices, religious mm -hmm. practices that were uh, established by Hashem. 
but the problem was their practices were not mindful. They did them just because they were supposed to do them. They didn't think about Hashem and the reason for doing them. That's certainly, definitely uh, part of it. But I think it goes well beyond that. I think they had perverted the rituals because they're offering them to, uh, in front of idols. You know, it basically, uh, Israel forgot or became ungrateful. We get that to next. Who, to who her benefactor was. <laughs> Good. Let's move on on to that. Let's read the next couple of ones. Uh, I raised. Oh well. Um, there we go. I destroyed the Amorites before them, though they were as tall as cedars and strong as oaks. I destroyed their fruit above and the root below. Notice he's not saying you destroyed them. I did. God is saying I destroyed them. And we, we looked at that prophecy to Abram thousands of years before, a thousand years or more before. I did this for you. Have you forgotten that? This was, the, this was what the people did. They failed to remember that Hashem was absolutely involved in their very existence. They were just not a nation. They were the people Hashem had chosen. And everything that happened to them happened because Hashem allowed it. Yeah. This is, and, and this get back to that initial prophecy. The Lord is yeah. roaring. The, God is in charge. You may think you are. You may pretend you are. But as long as God allows it, then that's fine, but he's not going to allow it in this case. Uh, I also raised up prophets among your children and Nazarites among your youths. Is this not true, people of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets not to prophesy. prophesy. The, Nazarite, the Nazarite vow, you were to, to cut your hair and you weren't allowed to touch uh, anything that might have fermented. So no, you not even fresh grape juice. That was they couldn't drink anything that was from the grape. Yeah. And then he finishes off with the oh, and uh, and the prophets, not the prophesy, is an interesting one because we're going to see that in. In the seventh chapter, just a, a quick jump up there, when um, uh, Amaziah the priest of Bethel sent a message, uh, sent a message to Jeroboam, and then um, uh, saying that Amos is raising conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words. This is what Amos is saying, and then he goes on and says. After that, Amaziah says to Amos, Get out, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there and don't do and do your prophesying there. Just get out of here. You command the prophets not to prophesy. Uh, Jeremiah had a good expression for it, even if I wanted to not say what God is commanding me to. I couldn't. It burns in my bones. I have to speak. This is pretty, it, quite a serious charge being made that you command the prophets not to prophesy. Now then, I will crush you as a cart crushes when loaded with grain. The swift will not escape. The strong will not muster their strength. The warrior will not save his life. The archer will not stand his ground. The fleet-footed soldier will not get away. The horse And the horseman will not save his life. Even the bravest warriors will flee naked on that day, declares the Lord. That's going to be fulfilled 
within 40 years in Israel. And we'll leave off here. It's uh, just about that time. Next week, we will start looking at a series of prophecies uh, to, to Israel. And uh, let me see what I have in my notes here so I can know how far I'm going to go with that. Series of prophecies. It goes up through... Things that don't work. Yeah, it goes up into the sixth, into the uh, uh, into the sixth chapter, and we will cover uh, that information, and then we will get into the day of the Lord. How many people want to see the day of the Lord if you're in Israel? What is the day of the Lord? It's going to be a dark day. It's going to be a tough one. Um, the day of the Lord is basically judgment. God is going to exact judgment. And so we're uh, when we look at the day of the Lord, uh, it happens many times. There have been many days of the Lord. And it's there will be a final one, but in the meantime, the day of the Lord is going to uh, not be something you necessarily wish to see. So next week, we'll look, we'll look at the judgment, continue the judgment of, of Israel. We'll go through the sixth chapter. And then the week after that, we're going to uh, go through uh, visions of God's wrath being brought on Israel. And then the final one, which I think is an important one, and I hopefully we'll get to, uh, is the uh, restoration of Israel. It will occur. We'll see you next week, and thank you for being here. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.